0: Welcome to Rethinking Neurodiversity, a podcast looking at the history, triumphs and challenges of divergent thinking. We're your hosts, Fran and Ling, and together we'll be talking to neurodivergent advocates, experts, and those with lived experience to rethink the narrative around neurodiversity.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Noetic Health, the intelligent neurodiversity app for adult ADHD, autism, dyslexia, and dyspraxia.
0: In this episode we talk to Manisha Snoyer about how to create the best learning environment for neurodivergent kids whether that be through homeschooling or at schools. We also talk about the challenges that neurodivergent parents might face and how they can work with teachers to improve their child's learning experience.
1: Hello! Um, Great to have you on Manisha. Would you be able to give us a quick Um, introduction into who you are and what you're about.
0: Um, Absolutely.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's really wonderful to be here with you. So I'm Manisha and I'm the founder of Teach Your Kids podcast, an online homeschooling community. I was a teacher for 20 years. I saw the whole spectrum of the education system. I taught in three different countries. I taught in private school, public school, after school as a private tutor. Um, And I was very frustrated to see that it was extremely difficult to help families curate their children's education to meet their individual needs and also as a teacher, it was just so difficult to differentiate in the classroom and so much stress um, children were experiencing from being in these environments that were not necessarily conducive to the way they learned and so I became very interested in supporting teachers starting their own small micro schools. And then from there became even more interested by these parents who are actually taking their children out of school and deciding to educate them themselves. And so now with teacher kids, I really try to um, support families who are homeschooling, but also families who have children in school and are just trying to find ways to supplement their education or advocate for them. In a more traditional learning environment. And then I should also add that I founded schoolclosures.org, which was the largest network of nonprofits and tech companies helping families impacted by school closures during the pandemic. Um, we had a hotline, families from all over the world were calling in, and that was a really great way to kind of get an, a sense of what are the pressures that families are experiencing on a day to day basis with their children's education, because almost I would say everything that parents experienced during the pandemic was just an exacerbation of what families experience in school when there's not a pandemic. And so from there, I started building tools and resources and getting information to support families. And I would say one last thing is that now where I really feel the essence of my work is, is empowering families by helping them understand that they do have a really strong intuitive sense of what their children need and to to trust that and then find tools to support that instinct
0: brilliant that <laughs> sounds amazing and it's I mean, it's amazing to see how your focus has changed since like during the pandemic and things like that. And that's actually never something I've really thought about is obviously we knew how hard it was for parents during the pandemic, taking on this whole responsibility where normally most parents have sent their kids to school and then a lot of them had jobs. And then also these children at home that they now need to support um, and help teach. So it's amazing that you've managed to provide the resources for people that they they're supported in doing that.
1: Thank you. What would you say what would you say the biggest challenges were for parents during this time and and for kids as well?
2: Yeah so I have to be honest that the biggest challenges were getting access to meals and childcare because that was a huge that, that is generally provided by the school even though I mean in the United States children are still going to school hungry and not getting food that they need. So connecting families to those social services was the biggest pain point. And from the the other problems were actually kind of easier to solve. Like, for example, a parent would say, well, how can my kid learn at home? And I would say, well, have you tried Khan Academy? It's free. And a lot of people hadn't even heard of that before and didn't know, wow, there's just so many amazing online resources and also physical resources that I can use with my children. So that was kind of um, a much easier fix. And and then I think there was also issues just around how do I curate my child's learning at home while I'm working? And so that part was much more about, okay, well, first of all, you have to advocate for yourself at work. It's not possible to be at home with your child all day and do a normal full-time job. And so that was the first thing was like encouraging families to get help and not be ashamed about it. And also from the other side, encouraging companies to be more open about giving support to parents. And then also helping parents understand that school at home doesn't have to look like school at school so your child can work one-on-one and learn much faster than they would in a classroom setting so it could need just setting aside an hour or two a day and you can choose curriculum that suits your child's learning needs and so i did a lot of interviews with parents talking about um, what you know learning needs their children had what activities they enjoyed and pairing them with learning apps or curriculum to support their needs and, and families had the freedom to choose their own curriculum as opposed to kind of catch up with the school curriculum had a lot easier time of it I will tell you.
0: Yeah I bet that's really interesting because it feels like that really translates into the approach that you can take with neurodivergent kids in choosing the right teaching resources for them and choosing the right topics for them that kind of thing. Right um, yeah right learning environment and leaning into their focused interests and those areas it's a lot kind of more of a personalized approach which mm-hmm. could be really beneficial as well so that's interesting that maybe it took the pandemic for some people to step back and realize that all children learn differently and all children have different strengths and things. And in some ways lockdown kind of
1: schooling from home provided that microcosm for parents to be able to offer a more tailored approach and or just kind of find out what those individual needs are, which can be quite challenging in a traditional school environment without those additional resources to be able to find out what each individual kid's needs are.
2: For sure. And I would say there's definitely a group of parents who, after this experience during the pandemic, just never wanted to return to traditional school. It worked so well for their children. And then there's another group of parents who were just so relieved when school started up again because it was a total nightmare for them and i would say that it's really the parents who kind of said this needs to look a lot different than traditional school and we're going to kind of throw away everything we thought before set our own goals and see how this unfolds for whom it worked really well and i will just add to that i mean as you probably know a lot of children who are you know have neurodivergent thinking also have parents who might have autism or ADHD. And so one thing that I encounter is that a parent might feel like, wow, I have ADHD. There's no way I could homeschool my child because I couldn't be that well organized. And you know what, what actually I try to encourage parents to understand is that what you can do in homeschooling is you can have a rhythm that works for you. So, for example, you know, I know I, I read a little bit about your company. I know that like you've been diagnosed with ADHD, and s- often people who are entrepreneurs do have some learning differences, and they really lean into them, and it can be a strength. And that's just what homeschooling is—it's it's entrepreneurship. You're creating your own little business, your own tiny school that works well for you. So I think it really is possible for any parent. And also, you know, for example, if a child has autism it can work really well to use what we call an unschooling approach where they're just following their interests obsessively. And then you don't really have to worry so much about having this very strict schedule when children are more free to pursue their interests.
0: That really resonates, I think, and will resonate with a lot of people. And it's kind of another approach that's something I guess I hadn't thought about too much until you just said it, is that a lot of neurodivergence is genetic. So it's unsurprising that if you have a child who's neurodivergent, one of the parents might be neurodivergent or both of the parents. So I guess it takes a big change in well, it might take a big change in their environment, but it might also come really naturally to some people. Just depends. Is there any other techniques you've advised to people who were teaching neurodivergent kids at home?
2: Oh yes. Yeah. So first of all, I always say start with the curriculum. You know, so when you if your child, for example, dislikes math it's probably because they're not choosing the right math curriculum for them so and i want to emphasize even you know let's talk about the autism spectrum for example there are so many different children who have this same diagnosis so i have seen that children i have met many families with children on the autism spectrum who do very well with it with online learning it's just a really good environment for them and they like the video game structure but another child might not feel very uncomfortable online so i have actually a free curriculum planner which i'll share with you and you can include um, for families but i just basically ask families like what is their child um, does their child have any diagnosed learning differences What's their child's favorite activity and like 100% of the time I'm able to recommend a math curriculum or an English language arts curriculum that works for them. And then I'll also say that in a school environment or in a corporate environment learning disabilities are very pronounced because the way you operate in the world is very different than the way that world. (laughs) But when you're in your own world, your way of being might be very natural. So it can be very, you know, if we stop thinking like school or the corporate world is the right way and everything else is the wrong way, just opens up a lot of different possibilities for learning. So I would say, you know, like those online learning apps can be great. If your child has ADHD, sometimes a nature based curriculum is wonderful or a sensory processing disorder, like going being in a part of a forest school can be fantastic. And also, you know, parents often worry about socialization with homeschooling. But I feel like for a child, a neurodivergent child, like the socialization is so much better for example if you're on the spectrum there can be a group of kids and you can be like circling around the kids coming in going out as you see fit whereas in school you're forced to kind of sit in a chair with kids the same age and it can be very challenging so yeah so the advice i would give is just start with the curriculum find something that your child loves and really take the time to do that because there you're not in a rush to learn these school standards you have enough time to kind of figure it out. And, and often, you know, children will be very insistent about like, what, why am I learning this? What is the point of this? And a parent can actually take the time to explain that and to figure it out for themselves. And that can be a really wonderful exercise to go through with your child. And when they feel there's a sense, there's meaning and purpose behind what they're doing, their drive to learn will be so much greater. I love what you
1: said about almost um, almost sounded like you said kind of merge learning with play and Mm. if you can make learning as engaging as possible or have it in a way that's in a way that they enjoy being in that environment or a way that they feel soothed so it's almost like the first step is to learn how your child learns exactly and learn and learn environment your child is most comfortable and when they're comfortable and they're presented with something engaging that's almost the best kind of breeding ground for learning.
2: Absolutely. And I would say some kids love workbooks. They just, that format of like they take a test, they do a lesson. is just very comforting to them. They love having a strict schedule. So a parent has a better sense of that than anyone else. But I also say, make sure it also, it isn't just about your child, but it's about your own needs. Because you might need to have certain blocks of time to yourself and you have to give your child an activity and then and the other aspect sorry if i'm jumping around too much but i would say also get really clear on your goals because often we look at the goals of school and we think that they make sense like there must be a reason that the goals of school are like this but for for some children you know maybe what they need is to be prepared for a certain vocation they might not need long division and multiplication and all of this stuff they might just need to be really well prepared to do a vocation that requires a specific skill set whereas other children might crave a much broader education and some children might love math but maybe need to be exposed to literature a little bit more so You know, we know, for example, that often the history that's taught in school is not very inclusive of diverse perspectives. That's just one example. We know there's a lot of debate about what math children need. So I would encourage parents before you start getting scared about, you know, how much your child's learning, what they're learning, you know, just really think about what do you want them to learn? What do they want to learn? What is actually important for them to lead happy, successful lives?
0: That's super interesting. And I think, how I was schooled as I grew up it was very much like you have to be good at everything and Mm -hmm. very generalist approach in the UK until you're at least 16 there's a very generalist approach isn't there but for some people that's not needed like and what is the point in putting your kids through what can be pretty terrible and like really stressful times for them if they're just going to take an exam and then never really have to use much of that skill in their lives. Like, what's the point in putting them through years of this pressure when you could be playing to their strengths and you could be, like you said, identifying what you value as important and what you think will be useful in their life in the future?
2: Mm,
1: coupled with what they find enjoyable and useful and engaging. Yeah. to them um, and what they gravitate towards. Because if there's two or three three subjects that they absolutely love and they seem like they're, you know, going in a very positive direction towards, then why almost dilute their time with all the, with uh, and say if they conversely are really struggling with some of the other subjects, why are we diluting their time trying to be good enough at all of these subjects, when maybe we could cut some of those out and provide less stress and essentially less trauma. I mean, I still have nightmares about school. <laughs> and so you have a dream that you have, that you've got an exam that that you haven't revised for. And yeah, <laughs> what was I'm this class like, I was supposed to take? I, I never went,
2: okay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and it's so silly. I mean, and, and think about it too, you're entrepreneurs. Did you learn how to build a financial model in school? Did they teach you that?
1: Let's, no. Let's, teachers of school, you know, will we'll identify, say, nine subjects that are critical. Mm-hmm. But emotional literacy skills are not one of them. And neither is financial literacy. However, you have to know Pythagoras' theorem. But we, we have
2: no idea how to save money. For sure. Exactly. And I think the other, you know, children do have a very strong sense of what they need to know. And it's a balance because... I have seen parents who take a very hands-off, pure unschooling approach, and then their children don't know how to read or write when they're 18. And I do think that's a problem, but <laughs> there is a balance, right? I mean, I think that most people can agree, like having literacy skills and numeracy skills are important, but those are foundational blocks. So when you know how to read, the entire world opens up to you. And that doesn't have it happen when you're four or five. It can happen when you're seven. But there's also ways you can make reading more enjoyable that you can help explain to children why knowing how to read is important. Like, not everything that we learn has to be fun. But if there's something driving us behind it, then it can be fun. Like, I want to be an astronaut on the moon. Okay, well, let's learn physics so you know how to fly a spaceship. And those kind of things can be, you know, very motivating if, you know, we give the children the benefit of the doubt. Like, no adult wants to learn anything that doesn't serve us directly and yet we ask that of our children every single day mm.
0: yeah that's so true i think you also get like a lot of inquisitive children that some people just brush off as slightly annoying <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> right. and they're like, yeah asking like why 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 when actually like they are, perfectly legitimate question yeah, exactly a very <laughs> valid reason to be asked why do I have to do all these things and we teach them in some area like why do I have to brush my teeth well because you need to have good dental hygiene or your teeth will fall out or whatever but then when it, you're right when it comes to school like if they're asking why they just as much of a reason to know why they have to learn those things and it will give us time to reflect on why we're teaching those things and what we value as important and I think in such a changing environment at the moment as well when I was at school and we were still doing exams without calculators and things I agree that you need to be able to do maths without a calculator but when we were doing like really complex level things and you still weren't allowed a calculator it's like well for the rest of my life I'm going to have a calculator in my hand so is it that valuable for someone like for, for example someone with dyscalculia that will be a very stressful experience for them but do they actually need sure. to be able to do that? Same can be said about about literacy
1: and reading as well. if if reading is is highly stressful for someone, then finding if you can find appropriate resources or additional uh, if you can find a tutor or someone who can teach the teacher child in the way that they like to learn that enables them to learn how to read, then that would be great. However, we also have a lot of technology now that can enable comprehension of something without necessarily actually having it and so ultimately the goal of of reading something is to absorb the information and maybe if there's a different way or if there's technology to enable that the comprehension of something without necessarily the long-form reading then it's just useful to kind of understand the mechanisms under which someone may be struggling so it could it could for example be the colours, the colour contrast, and that's something that's often overlooked. In that, sometimes yeah. stress reading is stressful for someone because of the of the the visual stress that it creates. And so, are there ways that we could maybe filter the text that is different colours? Does that make it better? If it doesn't, then there's always multiple different avenues under which you can achieve the same level of comprehension without having to make someone read something in a in a traditional way. For example, the yes. speech to text or text to speech rather
2: certainly and it really comes back to empathy you know if your child is suffering learning how to read and i remember suffering learning how to read get curious. I mean, they might have a visual impairment where their eyes don't work well together. I mean, for some children, handwriting is physically painful. They're actually under physical pain trying to write, and it, or maybe they haven't developed their, you know, fine their um, muscles well enough in their hands in order to be able to write yet. And so instead of just saying like, oh, they're complaining, you know, really getting curious is very important. And then, yes, of course, we want our children to push themselves to do. Things that are hard for them in order to achieve goals. That's that grit is an important part of life, but you know, kind of finding the balance and really asking our children, you know, what's going on here. And then I would also just return to this why question, you know, the annoying why, 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 uh, which was Maria Montessori's favorite question. (laughs) You know, that question can be so much fun to entertain and it really shows this like natural spark and curiosity for learning. Um, But I would also say that if a parent is getting tired of that question, it's totally okay to turn to your child and say, I love how curious you are right now I'm kind of tired. So maybe we can return to this later. You don't have to just constantly, you know, treat your child like some king or queen that needs to be served, right? Like maybe you, you know, you feel like homeschooling would be better for your child, but you just really need the childcare and you, don't, you haven't figured out how to find a remote job. And so it's okay to say, you know, I know that school is not the most fun for you, but I just, you know, I need to earn this money in order to, you know, pay for our meals. And I just haven't figured out a way that I can get a different job, that we can do a different childcare. So can you (laughs) sit through it, you know? So that kind of honesty and integrity with your child, I think it it is important. You don't just have to humor them all the time. You can talk about how you're responding to what they're asking and how you're feeling and, and all of that.
1: Mm.
2: And that's so great for kind of teaching boundaries and boundary setting
1: and communication as well, because sometimes we don't have the capacity to answer their questions right away. But at least if we can tell them why those questions can't be answered right now, um, that generates compassion and empathy on the child's side. And also the parent can also generate empathy and compassion to why the child might be wanting those answers and finding ways of of answering the why when they have more headspace and in the meantime, not creating resentment on either
2: side. Exactly. And you did ask earlier about how techniques for teaching your children. And the one I say the most is simply learn with your child. A lot of families feel, okay, well, I'm not good at math, so how could I possibly teach math to my child? But the most important skill that a child really can learn is how to learn. And the way we learn best is by modeling our parents. So no matter what the skill is, you can sit down with your child, look at the lesson together. If you're confused, go on YouTube together, go on Google, draw on all the resources that you would normally use if you had to acquire a new skill at work, like financial modeling. And that is just, that's a wonderful way to learn by learning along with someone.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And we've been talking quite broadly about kids altogether, but a lot of these things are specifically useful for neurodivergent kids and neurodivergent parents who are more likely to burn out, who need to set those boundaries to kind of prevent them burning out as well and make sure that they can show up for their children when they can. So I think it's really interesting in how we can apply those things to like different areas of the kids' life. But we've talked quite a lot about homeschooling and how we can shape the curriculum and the learning style of our kids do you have any tips for if a neurodivergent child goes to school how we can advocate for them at that school as well
2: absolutely so first of all I mean you brought it up but you need to advocate for your child so that's that's step one and I think that a lot of times we just assume school knows best I know nothing but any good teacher will tell a parent that the parent does know best. So if you have an intuitive feeling like something is going wrong, that your child is not getting the support that they need, that is the time to advocate and to talk to the principal, talk to the teacher, talk to the therapist, and make sure that your child is getting the support that they need. And if you don't get a positive response from the people at the school, I really recommend joining communities. I mean, there's you have a wonderful community at noetic health. And then there's also, you know, Facebook, there's Reddit groups, and there's always a parent who has been in your shoes, who can help give you tips on advocating or potentially switching to a different school or potentially homeschooling, if that's going to be the best route for your family. So first of all, just ask for what you need, get in the habit of it. Ask, ask, ask. And then you know, and the second thing is just really, really trust yourself. Because if you have a gut feeling about something, I I think that you probably are right as a parent.
0: Yeah, definitely. And also talking to other parents as well about the experiences, especially if you're struggling with your school or if they're not offering the support that you think your child needs. Just talking to other parents can provide people a lot of comfort, as well as advice, but also you then feel heard by others and that people might be going through similar things. I think that's really validating for people to hear as well.
2: For sure. Yeah. And then I guess I would also add, I mean, I am a big believer in inclusion. And so if you're in a situation where your child is in a group of children who have the same learning difference as them, I would try to find opportunities that are more inclusive, whether that's after school or a meetup or some kind of other opportunity.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's just a (laughs) a
2: really good kids to be
1: able to learn with other kids who learn similarly to them which can sometimes be difficult if you're in a traditional learning environment and most kids most people around you seem to be learning in one way which obviously deviates from the way that you learn and so you can feel quite othered and that can be a very isolating experience to process at a young age and so feeling feeling a sense of belonging is is incredibly important for both the parental community, parent community, as well as the child community.
2: Yes, and I would also say, I mean, just as families who have, you know, children in school need to advocate for services, families who have made the choice to homeschool can also benefit, often from services offered by schools. So it's really about learning how to ask and. The reality is that often the people who are advocating our mothers, it's just kind of the way things work in our society and I think that women often feel uncomfortable asking for help and support and it's really just a question of practice, I mean my entrepreneurship did not start to work until I got comfortable making asks and You just need to kind of break in, break it in in a way, like just start doing it and asking for stuff. And you'll be really surprised what you get when you're, when you make direct requests, kind, polite direct requests.
0: And I also think you're them setting an example for your children when they're adults and they're responsible then for advocating for themselves as well they need to be able to ask for those things if they're not provided or like comment on things that don't work for them so you're setting a good example for them when it's their responsibility
2: for sure and a lot of sometimes there are private special services or curriculum that seem out of budget and I always say just ask for it for free just write to the company and say, I can't afford this. I need this for my child. Do you have scholarships available? I remember I wanted to participate in a startup competition a couple years ago and I was way under credit card debt. So just as an experiment, I just wrote to the conference and said, I'm a woman entrepreneur, could you not charge me please? And they immediately gave me like a full scholarship. So it can almost be kind of fun when you start asking to see you know, what might come your way.
1: yeah and there's there's also the law of numbers as well where that's true (laughs) if you ask if you ask if you can't afford say an online resource and you ask 10 different organizations different things and just send them a copy paste email one of them will hopefully at least come back to you with at least a discount code and it's one of those if you If you can also generate that with a community of parents, if enough people are asking from an organization or from asking from several organizations, then you create that kind of groundswell of demand for more affordable services, and they'll then and then that kind of light bulb moment will hopefully happen on their side where they're like, "Oh, actually, maybe we should be offering if they're not already. We should be offering um something at, at a more affordable price point."
2: Yes, and there's also a moral issue, which is if your organization has an educational objective, I believe, you know, a lot of organizations say that their mission is to give equal access to education to every child. So this is an opportunity for them to stand up. And, you know, for example, I run an online learning community. If any parent asks for a scholarship. The answer is yes, immediately, and that's built into our model. And so, obviously, you need to sustain your business, but especially for education companies, I mean, I can't think of any that I would call a high-quality product that would say no to a family who couldn't afford their service. Mm-hmm,
0: yeah, and it's about offering those services. Is also in part about leveling the playing field and making sure that everyone exactly, has
2: to exactly.
0: Um, yeah. And what what's quite frustrating, at least here in the UK. Is that with our school systems, we have like public schools, we have private schools where people are paying for their children to go to the school, often quite a large amount. But those class sizes are smaller. They probably have a little bit more individualised support. So it is quite challenging for people with neurodivergent kids to make sure that they get the same level of support. And it can be really difficult, but by speaking to your school and advocating for your child, I think that's the most powerful first step you can take in making sure that that support is there for your child as well.
2: Yes, I would say it's essential. And I mean, your child is going to have a completely different experience. The thing is, too, is these teachers are so busy. I mean, some of them are 30 or 40 or 50 kids in their class. So if you don't ask, they don't know that it's important to you.
1: And often from my conversations with teachers, particularly at state schools, they really do want to, they obviously they've dedicated their lives to empowering children with education. And it's so difficult with our current state school system to be able to accommodate that. And so, yeah, I really feel for the for the teachers having to cater for so many children and probably wanting, probably identifying a good handful of children who really need that dedicated support. And so would you have any advice for the teachers as well who maybe have to have bigger class sizes, like potentially working with some of the parents?
2: For sure. I mean, I think it goes both ways. It's um, an amazing teacher can differentiate instruction for 30 different children, but they don't spend the same amount of time that the parent does with that child. They don't, you know, don't have the same genetics and, or maybe the child is adopted, but they haven't spent enough the same amount of time. And so if you are struggling with a child in your class, the best thing to do is pick up the phone and ask the parents, how can I support your child? Do you have any techniques that we can use to make sure that they're thriving in the class? And often you'll get wonderful ideas and support from the parents.
0: Yeah, that's a really good idea just often the parent parent knows the child best and it takes a
2: village to raise a child is that the saying it certainly does it, it is the saying that's how it goes you know and you know not to keep bringing it back to homeschooling but i think that you know if you're in a situation where you feel like i don't have the skills or i don't have the time or the resources to do it i often just say well why don't you just like try it out for a summer because there's kind of three components. There's the childcare component, and school provides, you know, maybe six hours a day, nothing in the summer, nothing after school. There's the social component where you meet people, and that can be challenging for to be in a mixed same age classroom with a lot of kids. And then there's academic component. That's probably the easiest with all the amazing curriculum to to help kids learn at home. So I think that, you know, just don't rule it out as an option because you might already be spending a lot of time advocating for your child schlepping them to after-school activities and such and it might be a lot more relaxing and easier than you might think. That's such great advice (laughs) and do you have any kind of
1: final thoughts or advice for neurodivergent or just for parents in general or for teachers or even for young people who might be listening?
2: sure so the first thing that i will say is that being a parent can be very lonely whether you have a huge group of parents you know at school or whether you're homeschooling and so if there's anything that you're struggling with in your life i would say hook into your community if you have a child with adhd join a group of other parents with children who have adhd and that can just be so supportive in terms of those moments of overwhelm, but also in terms of resource sharing. The second thing which we already mentioned was, in in that same context, ask for help. If there's something, you know, and often we can see the area we need to ask for help is because it feels like the impossible area. Like, there's no way I could get any time to myself because we can't afford a babysitter. There's no way that I could, you know, help my child because I'm too shy to call the school principal. You know, there's no way that my child could get a good education because all of the public schools in our area are terrible. So those areas where you kind of find yourself saying there's no way, those are the best Questions to ask your community for support. And then just remember, as a parent, you have been consistently disempowered by the system and told that you don't know what's best for your child. But every good teacher will tell you that you do know what's best for your child, and you have an in you have intuition that has evolved over billions of years of evolution to know what's best for your child, and so trust that. And any good teacher will will reaffirm what I said those i think are the three main points
0: yeah that's some really good advice i think i think we kind of forget to trust our intuition sometimes especially when google's at our fingers so it's very easy to just is this right is this right but no you're completely right trusting your intuition and talking to those around you is so so helpful before we go
2: do you have anything yeah. you want to promote Sure. Yeah. So, you know, if a family is interested in homeschooling or going to school and just needs extra support, whether that's with their child's education or just emotional support, we have a podcast. There's lots of information about every single aspect of learning and child development. It's called Teach Your Kids. It's very easy to find on any. We are on YouTube. We are on Apple. We are on Spotify, all the names. And then along with that is the online community And that community is $15 a month. But as I mentioned earlier, any family who can't afford it, it's just a trust basis. You say, I can't afford it. And I just pop you in. (laughs) No problem. No questions asked. And that's been working for us. So you can find everything. Just go to teachyourkidspod.com or search for Teach Your Kids in the Apple store. And when someone new subscribes, I'm the one who gets the email. And so I'm just always happy to answer any question that any parent has about anything.
1: That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Manisha.
2: It's been such
1: a pleasure chatting with you.
2: Thank you so much. It's been so great to be here. And I just love the resource that you're offering adults. And it's just, it's so important to be able to support people and understanding how they think and are in the world. So thank you for your great work and I'm excited to stay connected and support what you're doing in whatever way I can.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rethinking Neurodiversity. We're always open to your thoughts and feedback, so please feel free to email hello at noetic.health or get in touch through our social media. Please follow, rate, like, and subscribe wherever you get the podcast. See you next time. (laughs)